0: Letters from a Glass House is a not-for-profit ministry of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Venice, Florida. Support us today at UUCOV.org. Back in 1980, there was a film that came out starring Dolly Parton and Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, Dabney Coleman. And it was about three working women living out their fantasy of getting rid of their autocratic, sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot of a boss. And so tired of being wage slaves, They kidnap him, almost poison him, they imprison him, they do his job better than he ever did without telling anyone he's no longer giving the orders, and eventually they get him promoted to a position out of their hair and out of the country in the Brazilian rainforest. And I'm pretty sure the movie wouldn't fly in today's climate, but it was called 9 to 5. For some of you who may not have seen it, it's adorable, it's warm, it's funny. It had America laughing about how people at the bottom could get ahead if they just tried really hard, because obviously they were as smart and as capable And Dolly Parton, being the treasure that she is, she wrote the theme song for the movie, and most of you may know it. I'm sure you've heard it at some point. They let you dream just to watch them shatter. You're just a step on the boss man's ladder. you got dreams they'll never take away. You're in the same boat with a lot of your friends, and you're waiting for the day. Your ship will come in, and the tide's going to turn, and it's all going to roll you away. And boy, did America identify with that. And in 1980, if you worked a low-level white-collar job or worked with your hands in a blue-collar job, you could have big dreams. So from 63 to about 84, a year of college could be paid for with 10 to 14 weeks of minimum wage work. I have no undergrad loans. I worked. The money could be raised over summer vacation for a high school or college student. You could afford to go part time if you were older and trying to change. And once you got your degree, man, the world was your oyster. There were jobs just waiting for you because you had a college degree. And let's not forget about the salary there. In 1950, the CEO of a company made about 20 times what the workers did. Fair enough. Minimum wage was a dollar an hour in 56. Wealth disparity was there, but people could dream of having what their CEO did, right? We understood what the CEO had. Every once in a while at some companies, the CEO would invite some of the guys that worked there to bring their wives, come to dinner at his house. You'd go over and think, wow, what a nice place. What a nice car, oh, and he's got that new new camper. My wife wants one of those. His wife's got a fur coat, wow. If I work hard, work my way up, I could get there. You understood what it was he owned and how he had gotten to it. And I say he because back then it was primarily male. But you also understood how your boss got there in general. Where my father worked, the boss was a lovely man. He had started out on the milling floor. He had been a welder, went and got his engineering degree, worked his way up. But when something went wrong at Cincinnati Millicron, Mr. Gupzer could come out of his office, go down to the milling floor, take a look at something, and then go talk to the man who designed the plans and say, you know, I didn't like that piece right there. Because he had come up through the process Back then, maybe you were eating hamburger and the boss was eating steak, but you understood steak. You could go to a low-end steakhouse. You could go to Ponderosa and get you a steak. You were both eating beef. By 1980, the CEO made 42 times what the workers did. By 2000, the ratio was 120 for every dollar the worker made. In 2013, it jumped to 204 to 1. In 2021, the average was 398.8 to 1 and rising. <coughs> that ratio has increased 1,460% since 1978. Walmart worker begins today about 1150 an hour. Not a lot. The CEO of Walmart makes 24.1 million a year. That's 11,000 plus an hour. According to Forbes, for the first time in history, the top 1% in the world control more wealth than the other 99%. We have our first centibillionaires. And I'll tell you, the human brain can't really conceptualize of numbers this large. It's possible today for somebody in the top 1% to own a Birkin purse, specifically a Birkin hobo bag, which costs more than the average home here in Florida. Purse itself is about this big. At Serendipity in New York City, you can order a $25,000 ice cream sundae. It's coated in edible gold for the true connoisseur. You can eat gold. At Fleur in Las Vegas, you can spend $5,000 on a hamburger combo. A pair of undefeated Air Jordan 4 sneakers would have sent you back $15,000, except you can't get them because they sold out at that price. If you want some fun when you go home, look at Kanye West's current line of clothing. There's one t-shirt, if you've ever been to my house when I'm in my painting clothes, there's one t-shirt that resembles it so closely I had to look twice. Holes, tears, it's marketed as a boyfriend comfy shirt. It sells for over a thousand dollars. How much is yours? I've started telling people, look, do you like, I'm a designer now. (laughs) For a true connoisseur, and this is very true, there are capsules filled with edible gold, $91.67 per capsule if you're a member of the new museum, $429 if you're not for the the top-of-the-line versions. If you're cheap, you can go $17 for 10 pills. What's it for? It's to make it pretty when you go potty. I'm not kidding. It's so you can eat gold to color the bioproducts that come out the other end. The middle class took a heck of a hit with COVID. That year of college that was paid for with 14 weeks of summer work, Randy Olson at Michigan State University announced in a paper a few years ago a student would now have to work 48 hours a week at minimum wage just to pay for the classes. No room, no board. Families are moving back together to make ends meet. People are working two and three jobs. College education no longer guarantees anything. And rich and poor have moved so far apart. It's hard to imagine how the other half lives because CEOs no longer are coming up from the floor in general. Nepotism has become a way of life. CEOs, as many of you know, get poached from one industry to another to another based on their business acumen, but not their knowledge of that particular industry. It's no longer about your ship coming in. Even if you've got a ship, it's out of range. We're not talking about steak and hamburger. The rich are literally eating and voiding gold, while the poor aren't eating the minimum wage jobs that 9 to 5 was grumbling about, you can't afford a one-bedroom apartment in any state working 9 to 5 at minimum wage. It would take 86 hours of work here in Florida. So on this holiday weekend devoted to working people, how do we try to approach income and labor justice? This holiday was created by the unions and the economically disadvantaged. Labor Day was supported by the Central Labor Union and the Knights of Labor. They were the groups who organized the first parade, May 1st, 1886. But three days later, there were riots over an eight-hour workday strike, beginning after the police killed workers for striking. Somebody threw a dynamite bomb at the police, and it became known as the Haymarket Massacre. They were afraid to commemorate Labor Day on May 1st because they thought we would be commemorating the massacres. So they moved it to September at the request of the unions. Back then, there was violence and rioting in the streets, people working 12 and 16 hours a day, children working, so pretty much just like it is today in some areas. Wealth inequality is an obscenity these days. And what we care about is sacred community. And they're connected because it is hard to be in sacred community with those kinds of disparities and let everybody know they are welcome and they are loved. How are we called to be in community with people on both ends of that scale? And both ends are important. I've had folks get hurt at churches because they are on the upper economic end. And they felt like nobody wanted them or only wanted them for their money. That cannot be true. And people on the lower end felt like nobody wanted them because they couldn't contribute money. So it's a question for us to handle. How do we let everybody know you are welcome? You are wanted, not for what you got in your wallet or don't, but for who you are. Because you all know everybody laughs about you, Use about some things. You may have heard that we all shop at Whole Foods, we all avoid gluten, we eat only vegan, locally sourced palm fronds, (laughs) wear single-source, hand-woven yak sweaters made in the finest yurt co-ops, and we consider expensive coffee a sacrament. Well, maybe we do. That's okay. Wear your yurt. Moven clothing, it's okay. What's not okay is that forgetting that all this needs money. For a single mom on Snap food stamps, they can't afford the yak, the yurt, or some days not even some yogurt. Organic foods are out of the question. You hear popular stars complain about how the poor are so out of touch they don't know how to shop. They know how to shop, they can't afford to shop. Just getting enough food can be a fight, and sometimes happy meals are more calorie dense. You have to remember the reality behind financial strain. Poverty is insidious and demoralizing. It causes obesity as families eat cheap fat, sugar laden, calorie rich food in order to feel full. A few years ago, they sent Gwyneth Paltrow to the store, and I'm not kidding. They were trying to do a living below the line kind of project, and they gave these stars enough money and sent them out to buy groceries. She came back for a family of five. She came back with two apples, a bunch of organic carrots, some high-end mineral water. It was literally enough for half a lunch for two kindergartners or so. And she was aghast that she just didn't understand why there wasn't more food. The poor buy $10 shoes that fall apart over and over and over again because they can't afford the $100 shoes that would be good 10 years from now. It's expensive to be poor. All of you have friends that have bought things from Finger Hut. You know somebody who uses the rent to own stores. You know, you actually pay double. At any of those, what I would pay if I walked into big lots today and bought the same chair. It's expensive to be poor. So, how do we help? Big programs, organized campaigns, those are lovely if you can do it. We certainly need to help change the current system, which privileges wealth to this degree, but I would challenge you to think more simply. We've all heard the stuff about give a person a fish and they're fed for the day, teach them to fish. Nobody ever says, yeah, but some of them will starve to death while they're learning to fish. Nobody reminds you of that. Start small. If you have a little, help a little. Don't make assumptions. Think about the stories you hear at work, at the store, with friends, Just practice welcome. If you want to do a little more, think about things like going to a grocery store in a disadvantaged area and kinda hang around. Eventually you will see somebody that can't pay for what they got and is starting to tell the wait the person at the counter, could you take that off? Could you take that? Go pay for their stuff. Maybe buy a winter hoodie for a kid. It gets a little cool here in December. Ask your favorite teacher if there's a kid that, you know, might need a hoodie this winter. Buy some school supplies. Pay for some school lunches. Go through your old clothing and donate while it's still decent. Add some extra socks and underwear. These are the strands of the web that hold us together, not big, thick ropes. Little, tiny ways of letting people know they're welcome no matter where they are. I saw something that had hit me like a brick. It said, I was hungry, and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. (laughs) I was imprisoned. You went to a church and prayed for my release. I was naked, and you forgave me for my appearance. I was sick. You thanked God for your health. I was homeless. You told me about the sheltering love of the divine. I was lonely, and you rallied to raise funds for low-income housing. You are so centered and spiritual and caring, but I am so hungry and lonely and cold. Don't overthink this stuff. You can change lives in tiny ways just by buying one bag of diapers for somebody. Don't get frustrated when you see that mom buying her four kids the McMeal of the day. Strike up a conversation. And if you're the one who's poor and struggling, you can make a change too. Lift your head up because you're worth something. Know that you're worth something. And then go out and tell somebody else they're worth something until you see some light come back in their eyes. Tell them they're beautiful or their nails look amazing. Shake the homeless guy's hand. Ask him his name and his story. I was hungry. You gave me food. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick. You took me to the clinic and paid for my medicine. I was homeless. You got me a hotel room. I was lonely, and you listened to me. You do not have to perform miracles, and how you do this is up to you. But it's the little things that matter. Make it personal, and you will change the world, nine to five and all the rest of the time. Amen.